Uh, hi, Karen. Uh, so we are trying to do a small series of recordings to understand uh, how and why people work with software freedom, what keeps them going, and how freedom in general uh, affects their work or their ability to do any work for that matter. And hopefully this will inspire a lot more people to choose working on uh, software freedom and freedom related issues in general. So the first thing I wanted to do was ask you to define what your work is about in your, in your own words. So that's funny. I haven't really thought of it in terms of defining my work as a whole. Um, I think my work as a whole is to work on everything that helps promote ethical technology through software freedom. So I think we're working in an era where we're building a lot of infrastructure and we're using a lot of technology in new and unexpected ways. And we're networking all of the old ways that we use technology into these new ways. And we're doing so on a lot of proprietary software as a society. And it means that we're opening ourselves up to a lot of vulnerabilities and we're ceding control of a lot of our basic functionality to companies rather than to ourselves. And things that we agree to in the electronic space are things we would never agree to with their analog in the uh, with the yeah, uh, in the analog space. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think most of my work is focused around bringing awareness to these issues and doing all of the nitty gritty stuff that we need to do to be able to conquer the world with free software and really make a change. So you've been doing this for many years. So did the context arise after you've you'd gone down the road for a few years? Or did you start with this context of what you want to do? Oh, it's been an evolution for me. So when I, I the first time I got involved with free software was uh, was when I was at university and I worked in a computer lab and I installed Linux labs and I thought, wow, this this free software thing is a cool idea. It's too bad it won't go anywhere. <laughs> and I guess I was really wrong. Um, and I went to law school and I didn't think that much about software anymore. Um, and then I, I wound up. Um, uh, I wound up working in the space again, uh, you know, working at SFLC, and I thought that open source was pretty cool. Then I met up with a lot of my clients, and I was struck by their passion for what they were doing. And so slowly over time, I started to realize that there was a lot more going on than mm -hmm. I had previously thought. And as I, you know, as I went down that road, at some point, um, a few years in, I wound up being diagnosed with a heart condition and I needed to implant a defibrillator, um, pacemaker defibrillator. And all of a sudden, I was asking questions about the technology that was gonna be inside my own body. And the company that I was asking that information from and the doctors that were giving me advice had no information to give me. Right. And it was such a stark realization and such a stark experience that all of a sudden I went from being someone who thought that open source was something that was pretty cool and definitely useful to someone who thought that software freedom is essential. Mm. And so I had this really big transformation as I did that research about the ethics and the, the safety, just the basic safety of the own device that was going to be sewn into my body and screwed into my heart. And it really just changed my life and made me realize that these are issues you must be passionate about. And that um, as I've experienced over the years since then, my heart device is just a metaphor for all the software you rely on. Because yes. while you know, your phone may not be literally implanted in your body or connected to a major organ. It's still something you rely on mm. for so many basic things. And so we can't just 
think about our technology as something like a product that we buy from a company. We have to think about its impacts on society and our lives. So my question was going to be, why do you do this? But I understand that from your answer. Uh, what I would like to ask you is, had it not been for your medical condition, uh, what what road would you do you think you would have had? Uh, so what I'm trying to say is that unless we personalize software freedom or freedom technology freedom in general, uh, how do we relate to it? For someone who's not faced these sort of challenges and can't personalize it. I want to say that I have the answer for this, but if I'm totally honest with you and anyone listening to this, I didn't have a plan for my career particularly. I kind of went wherever it seemed reasonable for me to go. After law school, I was a securities lawyer doing work on stocks and bonds. And I never really thought about issues in the public interest much at all. I'm so embarrassed when I think about the person I was then and the issues that I think about and work for now. So I understand what it's like that it's, you know, and even coming into an organization and working on issues around free and open source software, it wasn't until it was presented to me as a personal issue. Like I was struck by the clients that I worked for, mm-hmm. but uh, but it was really when it became a personal issue that I became galvanized and passionate and I realized that this was so important. And so I find that talking about my own personal experience and issues help people understand the relevance of the issue to them. But I think that it's actually something a little bigger, which is that early on and, and still largely now, a lot of the people who are advocating for software freedom are similar people not similar people they're very different people but they're coming from the same i'll just i'll just say like when i first heard about the issues it was older men telling me about these issues uh older white men telling me they're doing great work i might add but i didn't necessarily think that it was that relevant to me because these people weren't like me and they didn't right. live the lives i led they didn't use the technology i used and i think that this is a critical lesson for how to expand the um the work of software freedom, which is that if you're listening to this right now, it's because you already know about software freedom and you think it's valuable. And you may think that your experience is not that important, but in fact, it's the most important. So if somebody who is in your situation talks about software freedom, it's going to make the biggest impact to people who are also similar to you. And I find that when I talk, especially women really respond to my story. And I think it's because they're hearing it in a way they didn't hear it before. And so diversity is critical to software freedom, because if we have as many voices from as many different walks of life talking about software freedom, it will be a much easier situation. I didn't, for example, uh, one of the things that I talk about when I advocate for software freedom is the experience I had while pregnant Mm -hmm. and having a defibrillator. It never even occurred to me that my experience being pregnant with a defibrillator would be different when I was not pregnant. Right. And nobody else in that situation, no one else except a woman with a defibrillator could possibly have that experience. But now it's something I can talk about and something people can relate to. They can reckon with it. And as we use our software in ways that the original authors of the software didn't necessarily anticipate, and that goes for our community software, but also especially for corporate driven software and and products, as we deploy them in different countries and for different use cases, we're going to find situations like my defibrillator where our use cases are not what the people who worked at, the small group of people that worked on them. And in free software, we can change the software to do something about it. We can customize it for ourselves and we can educate people about it. Without that, we can't. And so I'm I'm talking a long time on this short issue, so I'm sorry, on this short question, but, uh, but I think that 
that, that making sure that we have as many people talking about free software. And if you are listening to this, it's because somebody has informed you about software freedom. So it's never a bad time to talk about software freedom. I talk about it at my doctor's appointments, at the grocery store, all the time. Right. right. <laughs> so, but you would face challenges from people who don't seem to care when you talk to them about it in all these places. They might not care at all or they might not care enough because they've not been in a similar situation. Or maybe they might remember something you've told them today and they might be able to relate to it uh, maybe a few months or years down the line. Uh, so, the, what I'm trying to ask you, ask you is how do you uh, inspire people to care uh, personally? I'm, yeah. Your experience. How yeah, do you inspire very, people? It's very hard. I mean, honestly, uh, the way that I do it is not necessarily transferable to other people. What I do is I talk about my own experience, but I talk about the fact that I have a heart condition. And then people say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. And, you know, it makes them a little vulnerable because they are confronted with a person right. who has a problem and they don't feel threatened. So they have no defenses up because they're worried about you because people are kind by nature yes. in general. Mm. They, they want to be doing the right thing. Mm. And so they feel sorry for me and they start listening. And then I move it to, well, actually, you know, like, so it is me and this is a very deep problem that I have, but it's exactly the same problem first that you're, you know, that anyone who has a medical device will have. So probably someone you know at some point, you know, some parent or, you, someone you've, you've encountered might have uh, diabetes, have an insulin pump, have something. Uh, you can imagine yourself getting older or far in the future and possibly having a device. And so it starts to come into reality. And then I switch it to, well, this is exactly the same situation as you are in right now because you are relying on this technology that's critical to you. And because people were so accepting about the issue for someone else, they mm. become a little bit more receptive to the issue for them. I'm not sure how it works when you're not talking, when you're not telling someone that you might die. I don't know if that's a transferable uh, 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 approach to advocating for it, but I think in general, talking about the personal and getting a person who's listening to you to care about you and then explaining why it also relates to them is a very effective way. Okay, on a slightly different topic, because you care about so many things, does it make it make your life more difficult when you're dealing with family and friends uh, you care about them as people but they don't need to necessarily care about things in the same way as you do so and you might not have a way of getting them to see your see things your way so how, does it make it more difficult for you to get along with them sometimes yes it really does. It's very hard um, uh, uh, talking to relatives that are really sold on their Apple products. And they're uh, so for a long time, I just kept having this like very genuine first principles conversation with them, not aggressively, not like, you know, you're a bad person for using your iPhone or anything like that, but just sort of like, hey, here's what I work on. And this is why I choose not to use an iPhone. And it would be really cool if you thought about it, you know, and maybe you thought about it for your next phone. And they say, oh, that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying now. I, I can see that it's not really my issue, but I see why that would bother you. And then, um, and, then they, and then you say, well, so think about it next time when it's time for you to upgrade your phone that you might want to do something else with it. Um, and, and they say, oh, that's a good idea because it's sometime in the future. But then uh, down the road, when they get a new phone, they get another iPhone, and then they try to hide it from you when they, <laughs> you see them at family functions. And... Uh, and, uh, and I think like the, the hard part is striking the balance of talking about it in a genuine way, not making people feel bad, 
still trying to compel some action, but then if they won't act, preserving the relationship and making them know that you understand where they're coming from and it's okay. And so that's really tough. I think that most the most frustrating aspects are that um, uh, are are sort of like getting people to care in the first place. And I think yeah. that just having a soft touch with that is, at least in my family, is the best. But I have a really funny story about my parents, which is that uh, after I had started talking about my medical device situation publicly, um, it was the first time that my, my extended family really understood why these issues mattered. And the fact that I was speaking to a lot of people and that people were taking them seriously really compelled them. Like they, they looked into it and, um, and I have other people in my family, of course, who have heart issues because some of these things are genetic. And, um, and so these issues affect them and they started to be a little bit concerned. And I got a, a phone message from my, um, from my mother once my parents had gotten new phones and my mother said, she called me and she said, so, <laughs> so we just got back from the Apple store and we got new iPhones and we just wanted to say that we're sorry because we know that you won't approve. <laughs> I was like, what? wait a minute. You, you told me you were proud of me that I was advocating for this issue. You've always been really supportive parents. So okay if you want to get an iPhone, but then why call me? And apologize. And so I said that to them, and they drove right back to the iPhone store and returned their phones. <laughs> so you use guilt as a way of... You have to uh, use all the... You know, and <laughs> I mean, it was just like a funny, like, when confronted with the, you know, when confronted with the, like, it was more the rationality of it. Like, you know, what you said last month was that you understood what I was saying. And what you're saying this month is that you understand what I'm saying, but you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. So is it because people take the freedom for granted uh, that they don't perceive that they would lose it or it would threaten, that loss would threaten them in some way? I think that's exactly it. I think people, especially amongst uh, friends and family, who like friends from before I was a software freedom activist, um, you know, they just don't think about it. And they, they say, they always say, yeah, I know I'm being spied on, but I don't have anything to hide, you know, and you have to really break it down. And you have to understand that most of these people are Americans in the U.S., which is, like, really founded on this idea. Of, like, there's a really strong idea of privacy, yes. and um, and the founding of our country is really connected. And, and yet, you know, the idea of, but I have nothing to hide, is so opposite all of our basic fundamental ideas around our, our, our personal rights and our strong rights to privacy. And so, uh, you know, I just try to point these things out directly and not, you know, not in a guilty way, not in a, you know, just in a, a, a calm and rational way. But I really think that the only way we're going to get people to really care about software freedom in a big way is if we have major failures. Yeah. And it's going to happen probably not, you know, we will have major failures soon, but we're going to have major software failures down the road on old equipment where companies are out of business and, uh, you know, and I only hope that there are competitor products that have free software in them at the time, so that we can say, if this had happened to this competitor product, we wouldn't, we would be able to update the software, we would be able to fix the problem. Because otherwise, if we don't have those alternatives, people are going to say, oh well, that's just how technology is. Time to upgrade. Let's get rid of all of our old devices. Everything has to be replaced every year. So to summarize, uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to lead their lives with these principles at the core and they still don't want to alienate themselves from everyone else and it's a constant 
conflict maybe for them so what advice would you give them to stay motivated to stay keep working at it in whichever way they can we live in a really hard time right now it's impossible to be a purist you know i try to be as much of a purist as i can and use only free software but um aside from my defibrillator i still am using proprietary javascript in order to um you know book a flight or talk with my bank i still have to use the proprietary firmware on my phone for the radio component even though i won't use the other parts it still has to be a phone right and i think that we're all making these compromises every day all of us um if 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 someone is not doing that it's because they're not doing everything for themselves they have someone else who can do things for them and so you're already making these compromises so i just think of it in terms of everybody's drawing a line where it makes sense for them and as long as they do it thoughtfully and as long as they push a little bit more towards freedom than they were before we'll we'll we'll, we'll make that progress and i think for me that's the way to advocate is to understand where people are meet them where they are and help bring them to um to where we think that they should be and i would say it's so hard because when you are stuck on the street by yourself after everyone has left because they've all called an uber and uh and you're stuck and you can't get a taxi and or any public transportation and there's no one around to ask or you're lost for the millionth time because you won't use gps it's it feels very disheartening and um but there's so much hope and the more of us that do this and talk about it and advocate for it the better off we'll be it just feels it's been hard because i think a lot of people who were course off or freedom people maybe it's because they got jobs in the field and so they disconnected with the movement um a little bit um and they feel like they gave at the office you know mm-hmm. is the expression in the US like you gave at the office you don't have to give at home um i think like it i think a lot of software freedom fund like people who are really passionate about it have been feeling a little alone because people have gone like it's the 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 world that normal people live in is becoming less and less accessible to purists yes. or people who really want to use free software um and so i say just make a a case by case decision like live so you're comfortable like you can live with your in your place and your with your people that you love and do the things you want to do and then make yourself a little uncomfortable and go towards freedom and that way you can show people yes. that it's possible and and don't beat yourself up just work hard to help communicate why this is important sure that's a very very great message thank you so much